Welcome to The Greek Current, a podcast by Halk and Kathy Merini. I'm your host, Thanos Davelis. Finland became NATO's 31st member on Tuesday, marking a major shift in Europe's security landscape and a setback for Russia's President Vladimir Putin. Until late last week, Turkey had maintained a block on Finland's membership bid and is still keeping Sweden, which is also seeking NATO membership, in limbo. Expert Max Bergman joins me to explain why this moment is significant for NATO, how Russia's invasion of Ukraine has revitalized the transatlantic alliance and the U.S. presence in Europe, and look at what Turkey's obstructionist position in NATO, whether it's blocking Sweden's membership bid, its ties to Russia or its threats and provocations in the Aegean, mean for the alliance in the long term. Max Bergman is the director of the Europe, Russia, and Eurasia program and the Stuart Center in Euro-Atlantic and Northern European Studies at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. He also has served in the State Department in a number of different positions, including as a member of the Secretary of State's policy planning staff. Max, it's great to have you back on The Greek Current. It's great to be here. Max, Finland is officially the 31st member of NATO. Just how significant is this moment for the NATO alliance, particularly amid the ongoing war in Ukraine? I think it's incredibly significant for the alliance. I think, number one, it sends a message to Russia that its invasion of Ukraine has had a, a tremendous cost to it, to Russia's potential security and Russian interests, that Russia did not want to see Finland become a member of the NATO alliance. But by illegally invading Ukraine, it has prompted that. And I think it's a real tangible cost to Russia of its invasion. But it's really significant, I think, to the NATO alliance in that bringing Finland in is bringing in a member that is incredibly robust militarily. Finland has an incredibly strong air force, a strong ground force. It has a society that was prepared to fight Russia on its own. And I think the other thing that it does is really strengthen European security there was always a question mark around the neutral countries of Finland and Sweden of what would happen if Russia took military action against them. Would NATO come to their defense? Would the EU come to their defense? What would the United States do? And that uncertainty, I think, was a real potential problem for European security, particularly if there's an American president that is not inclined to be very focused on Europe or has a lot of attachment to the NATO alliance. And by bringing Finland in, and making Finland a NATO member, what the alliance has done is remove that uncertainty within European security. I think that's really significant and has made Europe overall a lot stronger and more secure. It wasn't a long time ago that, you know, the United States was looking to pivot to Asia and that France's president, Emmanuel Macron, had slammed NATO as, you know, brain dead, to use his words. How has Russia's invasion of Ukraine revitalized not only NATO, but the U.S. role in Europe? So I think NATO, over the last... 20 to 30 years, has been struggling to figure out what its role is. That as Europe and Russia were trying to build a relationship, if not a partnership, NATO was focused on out-of-area operations. NATO had a mission in Afghanistan. There was talk of maybe NATO needed to go global and expand its membership globally to perhaps some of America's allies. And so NATO was sort of struggling to figure out what its kind of purpose was. And Russia's invasion of Ukraine really reminded NATO that its core mission is to preserve European security. In one sense, to go back to its kind of founding mantra of keeping the Russians out. And the return of conventional war to Europe has reminded, I think, every, you know, all European countries and the United States and Canada, they can't take their security for granted. And that NATO's core role of organizing European defense, organizing European countries, the United States and Canada, to be able to fight together, that's its core mission. And it's gotten, I think, 
it has shifted to be intensely focused on that conventional role. We saw that at the NATO Madrid summit last year, and I think we'll see that at Vilnius of protecting the frontline states and ensuring security for all NATO members. So this, to me, has been a really galvanizing moment for the NATO alliance. When it comes to the United States, I would say it is reminding the United States that European security can't be taken for granted. It has sort of brought America back into Europe. However, the focus on the Indo-Pacific has not gone away at all. In fact, if you look at the national security strategy and the national defense strategy, much of which was written before the war, uh, and then the administration just sort of held pause for six months and, and released it last fall, the clear focus is China and the Indo-Pacific. And I think the real pivot that has occurred is not the United States focus on Europe, but really a pivot away from the Middle East and away from North Africa and the shift away from a focus on counterterrorism. And what that means for Europe is in some ways the United States is less focused on Europe's periphery, less focused on Europe's neighborhood. So while the United States is now focused on European security from the vantage point of focused on Russia, it is actually we're less focused now on the Sahel or events in Syria than we were for the last 20 years. That's a real shift in, I think, American national security thinking and has real implications for European security. So I think the United States is back in Europe, but the question is really for how long? And I think this is where it's really important for the Europeans to do more to enhance their own security and their ability to handle their own security, whether or not the United States is involved or, or not. Until late on Thursday, Turkey had maintained a block on Finland during the alliance, and it's still not budging on Sweden, leaving them in limbo. What's the view from the U.S. and other NATO allies on Ankara's stance here? So I think there's a lot of frustration with Turkey. I think the frustration, I think, is deep in Washington. I think it's deep in many European capitals, particularly if you're in Stockholm right now. You know, Sweden made a really unprecedented decision to join NATO. You know, Finland always wanted, I think, was inclined to join NATO, didn't out of, you know, its concerns of being invaded by Russia. But for Sweden, had sort of been really attached to its kind of neutrality. For the last 200 years, Sweden had maintained its its independent position. So joining or seeking to join the NATO alliance was a very big step. And to be blocked by Turkey right now, I think is really offensive to many Swedes and, and to many in Europe. But I think what everyone is doing is playing nice, trying to hope that Turkey kind of comes around. There's about to be an election in Turkey. I think everyone is waiting to see how that goes. But if Erdogan is still there by the summer, by Vilnius, I think the pressure on Turkey will really build. So we've seen sort of everyone playing good cop. And I think there'll be real growing frustration about Turkey's place in the NATO alliance, should it block a country like Sweden. Because as I mentioned before, there is a real hole in the NATO alliance, in European security, in the Baltic, when you're going to have one country, one really large country, the largest Scandinavian country, Sweden, not to be neutral. And there are very strategic islands like the island of Gotland in the middle of the Baltic Sea, which Russia has exercised attacks on Gotland, where, you know, you could see a situation where Sweden is under threat from Russia. And then what does NATO do? What does the EU do? And I think this is where the agreements that were inked by the UK and others to sort of offer a degree of commitment to the, these countries' security to Finland and, and Sweden when they were in this kind of nebulous period of having applied for NATO membership and not gained NATO membership are important. But it still creates that Sweden can't really be there to be part of the kind of NATO planning 
It really throws a wrench in the gears of how NATO is thinking about the Baltic and perhaps reorganizing itself after how it's structured now that we have uh, two more significant Baltic Sea members. So I think frustration with Turkey is really about to build if it continues to block Sweden. Beyond blocking Sweden, however, Turkey has been a headache in the NATO alliance, whether it's its relationship with Russia, its purchase of the S-400s, its provocations in the Aegean against another NATO member like Greece. What do these positions from Ankara you know, mean for the alliance in the long term? Well, I think it means that Turkey is not a dependable NATO ally. And the other area where Turkey has been a major problem is in EU-NATO cooperation in blocking the ability of the EU and NATO to work together. And one of the things that we've seen in this crisis is a growing role for the European Union as a security actor in providing military assistance to Ukraine, in spending a lot of money to try to get Europe's defense industrial base boosted. And that requires the EU coordinating with NATO. And they are coordinating, but they have to coordinate in a way that sort of works around oftentimes normal you know, bureaucratic rules and procedures. It makes kind of iterative cooperation that you want bureaucracies to have very difficult because Turkey objects. And I think this is something that we really need to, that is a, is a real problem. And then when you see Turkey's actions in Syria, its relations with Russia, particularly, as you mentioned, on the S-400, it has called into questions Turkey's reliability. We've seen responses from the United States, you know, canceling Turkey's participation in the F-35 there's, you know, Turkey now is interested in an F-16 deal, which is going to be held up by Congress because Turkey's not seen as a reliable partner. And so the hope is that Turkey will have an election. It will be a clarifying moment and that this will bring Turkey back kind of into the NATO alliance as a valuable ally and partner. But if not, I think there will continue to have to be a degree of reckoning here. And I think we've sort of been avoiding it as an alliance where Turkey has to sort of make a choice. And one of the things that we've seen with this war is it's been a clarifying moment. I think in some ways, I do have to say that I think Turkey's role has been helpful, that it does have a relationship with Putin, that it sort of has tried to play this, this bridging role between Zelensky and Putin in, in Kiev and Moscow. Because there's a, a relationship there with both, and we've seen that with the grain deal. However, we're also seeing Turkey now being a major epicenter for the smuggling of electronics and other items that have been hit by sanctions into Russia. And that's going to be a major issue. I think secondary sanctions on Turkey are potentially coming post-election, especially if it continues to hold Sweden. Turkey isn't the only headache uh, within NATO. You know, Hungary stands in Sweden's way as well. And both Turkey and Hungary over the last years have been drifting towards authoritarianism. Is this a broader question about the principles and values of NATO that need to be looked at when dealing with both countries? Well, I think so. I mean, there's been some troubling developments in Hungary in terms of its kind of expulsion of many of the military officers and, you know, Hungary being a vector for Russian intelligence, being kind of a, a hub. There's a, a Russian bank there in Budapest that has been sort of given sanctuary. And then if you're in the EU, then you, you know, Hungary's in Schengen and can travel anywhere. And so there's a lot of concern about Hungary. I think when it comes to Hungary and Sweden, I think there hasn't been a lot of concern that Hungary would be the sole obstacle to Sweden becoming a member, in part because I think that would bring the ire of the EU on them. But it is a sign of Hungary's sort of lack of solidarity that they're kind of also providing protection for Turkey, which is, you know, I think fundamentally the lone holdout in objecting to Sweden and Finland. So Hungary is a real problem. I think one of the issues is that we have a NATO alliance that is subsequently supposed to be about, you know, alliance of democracies. 
And yet, in NATO's history, including Greece, including other countries, there's been non-democratic states that have been members. And so NATO has always kind of talked out of both sides of its mouth there. There's not a lot of tools in NATO's toolkit to enforce kind of compliance with democratic rules and norms. The hope is that the EU is able to do that, I think, internally within the EU. And there's no real mechanism for how to deal with a recalcitrant member like Turkey or Hungary. And this is something I think the NATO alliance needs to think about, needs to think hard about. But there isn't a clear way to kind of enforce that sort of compliance or punishments on countries that aren't there. But I do think that if you're Turkey, and this is where I think it does matter, if you're thinking about an Article 5 commitment and the commitment essentially of the, that the United States is going to come to your aid, that if Turkey finds itself in a conflict or a war, given how it's been as an ally, it may call upon Article 5, but I don't know if NATO would be there to vote in favor of it. And so that, I think, becomes a question, a question back on those countries, that if you're in NATO and you know, bring forth an Article 5 situation, does NATO, do all NATO members then vote and say, yes, this is an Article 5 situation? And I think when it comes to Turkey, that would be in doubt, in part because of how they are as, a, as an ally. And I think that's problematic for Turkey and problematic for the alliance. Max, it's been great speaking with you. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. In other news, Greek and Turkish defense ministers Nikos Panagiotopoulos and Hulusi Akar conveyed a message on Tuesday on the need to keep communication channels between Athens and Turkey open, and, in the long term, to create conditions for cooperation. In the first visit by a Greek defense minister to Turkey in two decades, Panagiotopoulos toured the areas in Turkey devastated by earthquakes in February. In the wake of the relative thaw in relations since the tragic earthquakes, the two countries have agreed to an informal moratorium on large-scale exercises until the elections, while an extension has not been ruled out if conditions allow after the elections in both countries. Finally, senior diplomats from Russia, Turkey, Syria, and Iran wrapped up two days of talks in Moscow on Tuesday, part of the Kremlin's efforts to help broker a rapprochement between the Turkish and Syrian governments. The Russian and Turkish foreign ministries issued terse readouts, saying diplomats discussed preparations for a planned meeting of the four countries' foreign ministers. Moscow described the consultations as frank and direct, and Ankara said they were held in a transparent and clear manner, while offering no details. The efforts toward a Turkish-Syrian reconciliation come as Turkey's President Erdogan is under intense pressure at home in the lead-up to elections. That wraps up today's episode of The Greek Current. Thanks for tuning in.